Welcome to Cheaper Than Therapy, a podcast that journeys into conversations with the intention of demystifying, destigmatizing, and desensitizing what really gets talked about behind the closed doors of the therapy room. I'm Vanessa Bennett. And I'm Danae Selkin. And we're seekers, soul sisters, and holders of sacred space. So join us as we dive into the ways that therapy can be connecting not only to yourself, but also to those around you. I'm so excited for today's guest. This is someone that I have been telling Vanessa about for a few years now. She's um, my boss in the private practice that I work in, Flow House Therapy, and she's just been such an incredible mentor and inspiration and um, someone who's just really been a like warm, guiding, light, and holding space for me through my journey um, to becoming a therapist. And I feel like you've been hearing about her forever, V. Yeah. Yeah. It was great having her on because, um, you know, it's always like putting the name to the face kind of thing, but also, um, realizing you've been saying this for a while now, but realizing actually how much we have in common was funny. You know, our backgrounds are very similar, the kind of corporate thing. And, um, it just feels like energetically we're very similar. Yeah. So what I loved about this was we were kind of laughing, right? Like very structured. She's like, okay, I've got this stuff. I want to make sure that your people hear it. Right. And it ended Mm -hmm. up being like this lovely, almost mini class in how to step into your personal power. Yeah. So I think that this is going to be a really good takeaway for you guys because um, she just details it so perfectly, you know, and it's like very clear with like actionable steps. And um, so I think there's a lot to take away from this one. Yeah. She's one of like, this is one of those episodes where you want to have notes ready, um, right. <laughs> like a pen and piece of paper to take some notes. I think she's such an incredible businesswoman, but she's like one of those people who leads with soul in mm. her work. And I think it's really inspiring. So I'm really excited to get to share her with our listeners. Yeah. Hope you guys enjoy. Today, we have somebody that I've been dying to meet for a while because Danae has been talking about her forever. Um, we have Jory Adler here today. She's a psychotherapist and the founder of Flow House Therapy here in Los Angeles. So I'm super excited to have this conversation because like I said, I feel like I know her vicariously through <laughs> Danae. So today, tell us more about Jory from your perspective. Mm, I mean, I feel like Jory is someone who is so sacred to me that I just really wanted to share her with the world. And I've been sort of like pulling her like, will you come on my podcast? podcast and um you know she's obviously she's my boss at flow house but she's also just been such an incredible mentor and friend and you know she's my been my supervisor when i was accumulating hours for those of you who don't know how like the licensure pro- process the, the long arduous process in um california works so i um you know Jory was sort of that person guiding me through my process of becoming a therapist so obviously we've worked very intimately for several years now but even more than that, I would say Jory has just been such um, a cheerleader in my life. And I'm going to get emotional just like talking about what Jory is to me because she's just this like deep maternal figure in my life who um, just made clear to me how much potential she saw in me before I even knew that I would be a good therapist. Jory made clear that she really saw a lot of potential in me. And I felt, you know, really, really safe and held in the container of doing this work with Jerry, Jory. 
hates me with Jerry. Jerry. <laughs> I, I do her nickname. Sure. But, but yeah, but you know, she's just this phenomenal businesswoman, um, entrepreneur, manifester, so many things. And I just, I wanted to share you, Jory. So I would love if you would um, tell us a little bit about you and, you know, um, everything that you are doing now as a therapist and as the, our founder of Flow House. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to be the founder that you are today? Yes. And thank you. Um, I'm already crying Um, and you are always so vocal in your love and appreciation for me and I try I try in general and I tried especially this time to really just listen to you and try to let it in because sometimes it's hard I'm always like no oh no it's not that or I'm not that and I tried this time really to just let it in so thank you so much of the depth of the truth of how I feel. And I feel like Vanessa's been hearing me say it for so long now, how much you mean to me. Thank you, sweetie. Um, And um, okay, so yeah, my personal background, well, therapy is a second career for me. Um, I started my working life in television as a producer at HBO. And that was a blast. I did that all through my 20s and got to work on some really great iconic shows and, um, you know, was was on set and learned a lot about, uh, well, I had first actually I had started in um, sort of the more corporate side at HBO and like development and in the in the office part. And it was a very hard situation for me because it was very corporate and it was very competitive. Hmm. And then I got the opportunity to switch over to the production side. I I had been living in New York at that time. And then I moved out to LA for my dream job, which was working on six feet under. So I got to work on the set there and I spent the next several years of my life working on sets like that. And I really learned um, so much about community and about collaboration because whereas in the office and not to bash HBO, I think a lot of corporate jobs are like this. It was very competitive about even just the information that you had, Mm -hmm. like information was power and you would sort of withhold information if you knew something um, and you didn't want someone else to know as much as you knew, for example. And, And then when I got to production, I realized that, you know, it doesn't do the hair department any good um, to put the makeup department down. You know, it's Mm -hmm. like all of us wanted to do the best job that we could so that the finished product was the best that it possibly could be. And we all did our jobs better when when our friends were doing their jobs well. And that really, really made an impression on me about the differences in working together in a group like that and boosting each other up rather than competing with each other. So I think I really learned a lot of... um, management in in that way from that environment of really trying to squash any kind of competition Mm. um, and really see us all as working together as a whole and so I know that inspired me a lot I loved those jobs and I loved that time of my life but I hit 30 and I started to kind of think I don't know if I'm going to do this forever it's really grueling work you work all hours of the night and um 
and it's very erratic and um, not that stable. And, you know, it's really hard to change a career. And I think it's really hard for many of us to know what we want to do with our lives. I had kind of just fallen into TV kind of also just by default. I didn't even really know mm. what to do. It's especially in this country, our work is such a huge part of our lives and our identity. And it's really hard to figure out what, what we want to do. Some people know like, okay, I'm going to be a doctor or something. And they sort of go on that path. But I remember at that time, that being a really, really huge stumbling, figuring out point for me. So then I was kind of like, hmm, well, um, my grandmother's a therapist and I am that person in the room who's always like in the corner with everyone telling me their secrets, as I'm sure you guys are too, you know? And so I was like, well, maybe I would want to be a therapist, but then it's also hard because you don't know. And, you know, you, then you're like, okay, well, I'm going to sign up for tens of thousands of dollars to go to school, but I've never even done this. And I don't know if, if I would be good at it. So then it's a real leap of faith. Hmm. Um, to try to just think, well, maybe, maybe I would like this and maybe I'm going to go through all the damn prereqs and take statistics class and all this <laughs> stuff. Can I swear on here? Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> go for it. <laughs> um, you know, all that, it, it's a big undertaking to think about going back to school. So, so, but then when I did, I knew from the first, from my first time in front of a person in front of a client, it, at that point, it was just a fellow student at, Oh, it felt so good. <laughs> it felt so good. I felt like in production, I was in, under, in TV, I had kind of, I had achieved some success, but inside I never really felt that good at it. And I didn't really know what I was doing. And I had that imposter syndrome thing. And then from that first moment in my dyad in graduate school, I, it just came out so naturally. And that was a really, really good feeling. Mm. So I did that. Um, went back to school and all. And like you were saying earlier, Janae, it takes several years, you know, to complete that. So, um, you know, then I was probably in my mid thirties by the time um, I had finished that or so. And I had started a private practice, which I loved. And um, I was living in Northern California at the time. And um, I loved I loved private practice. I love working for myself. I love working on my own. I love spending time like that with clients so intimately and seeing actual change in their life. It's really exciting for me. And I decided to move back down to LA where I had been living and sort of started another private practice down here, which was fun. Um, and then I guess it's three years ago, three and a half years ago. I said that by then I was probably around 40. I, I started to look at my life and realize that I am really, really good at doing things by myself <laughs> and doing things on my own and doing things the way that I wanted them. And I was very happy doing that and it worked well for me. Um, but I started to realize that it, it would be a real challenge for me in a good way, a challenge in a good way to promote growth for myself to maybe try to cooperate with people more and try to include people more and try to work with people more and, um, you know, be um, not just so out there on my own. Mm -hmm. That's what I started to think about possibly working in more of a group environment. I had overflow from my private practice. So I had 
business that I was turning away. And the last thing I'll say about this transition is just um, what kind of coalesced it is that I was, I'm a very, um, I'm very influenced by physical space and by design and by my surroundings. So I was, I've always been very particular about the office space in which I work because I think it's part of the experience. I was in a space in my private practice that I absolutely loved. And when I started to think about, oh, would I start a group practice? I thought, oh, I'll never be able to find a space. It's just gonna be some big building with horrible lighting and annoying parking. And I don't wanna do that. And, and so I started to kind of look at some listings. I had just had the idea the night before of like, mm-hmm. well, maybe I would start a group practice. A friend had suggested it to me and I thought, oh, well, that could be fun. And I thought, well, let me just look down and see what kind of space is out there. And I started to look and I was like, oh, this is just what I thought it would be. Just gross, gross, gross. And I was looking for a few minutes and my phone rang and it was my landlord at the property that I was living at. And he said, you know, I've been in LA for 15 years or something. And I think it's time for me to go. Do you know anyone who'd want to take over my property? And I was like, oh. (laughs) I was like, I am coming over. And I dashed over there and I just opened the door and I could just, I was like, da, 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 da. I just saw, I saw, I saw exactly what it would look like. I knew exactly how it would feel in there. And I saw that I was just kind of opening my, opening this door to what was about to happen and that my life was going to go in this direction. And, and that's what happened. Um, and so I took over that property and then mm-hmm. I started flow there. That was three years ago. And um, it, one of the main ideas that I had was, um, at that point I had been practicing, you know, as all of us do as therapists, someone asks you what kind of therapy you do, you're like, oh, well, I do like 25 different things each <laughs> hour because it's different yeah. for everyone and, and they all need different things. And mm-hmm. it's very hard to explain one thing. So I'd kind of cobbled together my own, mm-hmm. you know, variety of ideas. Um, and I thought, well, you know, shit, it would be cool if we could get all of that in this one house. It was a house that I was starting it in. That's why I called it Flow House. Um, so when we started, I hired psychotherapists, all of whom work in a similar style as I do, which is, a, I call it, you know, holistic just for ease. But, you know, by that, I kind of mean a mind-body approach and also a spiritual approach, even though that word can be kind of nebulous or even off-putting to some people, but um, it's definitely a part of the way that I and we work. So, you know, holistic, creative, integrative, mind-body. I love EMDR. I love all kinds of other therapies that are more than just talk therapy. We had somatic therapists and we had an acupuncturist. and one of the main, one of my main hopes for flow is that trying to do things more than just talking, mm-hmm. um, you know, more than just analyzing and dissecting and talking, 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 you know, we do a lot of talking. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I actually think some people need, some people do need to be drawn out more and do need some help, you know, with some analysis of their life and certainly we do a lot of talking here, 
but some people it's just like, Oh, we, you know, we don't need to be talking so much. Mm-hmm. And, and in fact, your body, exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. You read my mind, you read my body, you read my mind, like exactly. You need to be getting out of your, out of your head and into your body. And, um, and, and even a huge thing that I love to do is, um, even teaching people to be in silence, mm-hmm. you know, teaching people how to be comfortable, not talking and starting to starting to be quiet and starting to be able to listen to themselves. And so we'll go, you know, sometimes we'll go outside and we'll just sit there for the hour and it's uncomfortable at first. Some people are antsy and, you know, squirming around, but after maybe five minutes, you can settle down and and I'll be giving them some instruction as we go about different kinds of meditating or just sitting there and listening, listening or looking and I find that to be really profound because um, I think our deepest w- insight and wisdom comes from inside of us. And it's my hunch that just generally most of us are so busy and mm. keep ourselves so, so distracted, you know, through very, with various ways of, of tuning out of, of, from our own selves. So I really think it's important to try to help people get comfortable in that quiet so that they can hear mm-hmm. themselves. For those people that are listening that have never heard of EMDR, do you have like a brief way that you usually describe it to people? It's tough, it's a good question, um, but it's such a bizarre thing. It's, I mean, even just starting with the name is bizarre. It's mm-hmm. EMDR stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing been around for oh, 30 plus years. Um, I know when I first heard of it, I was like, what? That sounds fucking it feels crazy. like it's gotten a new wave though, right? Like I, I think like so. in the last like five, 10 years, it's kind of right? exploded, at least in like the LA, New York type scenes. For right. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, and for good reason. So, but, but it has been around for a long time and um, with copious documentation of successful results, mm-hmm. um, there's lots of different ways to do it, but the way we do it is by holding these buzzers in each of your hands, but you can also do it through any, any way that stimulates the right side of your body, your vision, your brain, and then the left side. So you alternate right, left with these buzzers, they buzz right, left, or you can hit your shoulder right, left. And when you get into a rhythm like that, some people say it's, it simulates the, um, what happens in REM sleep, you know, when mm-hmm. our eyes are kind of fluttering like that. But so when you get into this rhythm mm-hmm. of this, they call it bilateral simulation, it accesses a part of our brain that we don't get to in just regular conscious life. That dreamlike state, you're, you're not hypnotized, you're, you're fully conscious and you're not asleep, you're not dreaming, but you know, when you're dreaming how things don't always make sense and memories will come or things that don't go together in your logical mind will come together in your dream and, and, it, and it works in the dream. But it, in the EMDR state, this kind of happens also where things that might not necessarily go together in your conscious waking state emerge and present themselves. And because you've sort of opened this part of your brain that's less attached to things having to be logical or rational Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it's it it opens memories and it opens 
associations, kind of like in a free association way. And then the really important thing that it does is that it creates distance from a memory. So if we're, you know, one of the things that we could, we would do in EMDR, for example, there's many different ways to use it. But one of the things is say you're working on a, on a traumatic memory and you will bring this memory up, you'll bring it into your mind. You will, will do this process with the bilateral stimulation. Um, and then I'll kind of ask you, you know, what do you notice? And what you notice might be a memory from third grade of a teacher saying something to you that upset you or something that doesn't necessarily go with what you came in wanting to work on, but here's this memory from third grade, um, or let's say it's a memory from third grade of kids bullying you at school or something. And what we can do, what happens with this process is that you get, the memory gets externalized. So it gets, it becomes like you're watching yourself in a movie. So you're no longer the kid getting bullied. You are now, watching a ki the kid getting bullied and watching um, it happen. And just by doing that, it offers this new perspective with a lot more empathy and compassion mm -hmm. for yourself rather than being in it and thinking, I'm a loser or, you know, I did this to bring this on myself or, you know, um, all you know whatever you could be thinking then instead if I was stronger I would have set up I could myself. have done something yeah I wish I had yeah. done something differently yeah. thank you exactly um and now you can look at it from the outside and just say like oh that's fucked up and this you know mm -hmm. this poor kid and I just want to put my arms around her mm -hmm. and and externalizing like that they do the, that's used in a lot of practices but it's very it's very helpful and it's very powerful and it can kind of take the edge and the sting off of the memory so that all of a sudden you're looking at it and you're like, oh yeah, that it wasn't her fault or she couldn't have done anything differently. And she, you know, this was just fucked up kids or whatever. And um, when you come kind of come out of the state, you're sort of like, it doesn't bother you as much. There's a way of just sloughing things off with EMDR where it's just like, it doesn't get, you know, how there's just some things that you're just like, oh, you're just riled up about. And then, did, then you're like, well, yeah, you know, you're not erasing the memory. You're not changing your life. It still happened, but it doesn't get you in the same way. It doesn't bother you in the same way. Does it way. actually like um, remove or minimize that? So when you say it doesn't bother you, it's like that to me, it's like, there's an emotional hook. Right. And then the emotional hook, then to me, there's usually a somatic response with that. So in a way by kind of externalizing it, removing it from the self and then kind of watching it externally, um, does that in a way it almost like disentangles the emotional and somatic connection to it. Totally. Is, that, is that part of it? Okay. Definitely. Yeah. Because you're not as personally involved and invested. You're more looking at it again, like a movie where you're like, Oh, right. which like you would feel some emotion, but you're not, yeah, you're like, Oh, movie, so you're not going to like, you know, totally melt down over it. So yeah. in a way it just, yeah, that, that's interesting. That's a really good way. I've never heard anybody break it down in such a clear way before. And I feel like, like you said, it's been around for a long time. So I feel like everybody I've ever talked to just has a million different ways to describe it. Um, it's tough. Yeah. But I appreciate the way you just did it. Cause that was really clear. And even for me as a therapist, I'm like, Oh, Oh, that makes total sense. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like people will work through trauma for years doing yeah. talk therapy and, you know, certainly at flow, we have so many experiences of people who've been doing talk therapy forever. And there's just some sort of a breakthrough, some sort of a way I'm not carrying this the same way after doing EMDR. So 
Yeah, I think breakthrough is a word Mm -hmm. that it feels like. Yeah. As you were talking about, you know, like even like the tapping on your shoulder, Jory, I was thinking about, I don't know, as I was listening to your whole, like, you know, giving us the background of your story. And it just makes so much sense that even this sense of community was something that you were aware of back when you were working as a producer. Because when I think about flow and the energy of what Flow House is, and, you know, certainly when we were in like the physical house, but it continues with us. Like it's so much about community. So many of our clients, what they were really moved by from the moment they would walk in the door was the aesthetic of what Jory creates. It's just such a like container. And I'm curious about what your thoughts are and like how we as therapists, as space holders, like how are you feeling about like doing EMDR virtually and like, Mm. you know, what maybe what therapy is now for, I mean, we don't know how long, like how are you feeling about that? And what are your thoughts on what what therapy is going to be? Ooh, good question. Um, Well, I'm I'm very interested and excited about change. I'm very (laughs) fascinated about how people and things change and you know like sometimes change is sudden and instantaneous and then it's just boom that's it like it is not you know even just thoughts in yourself or perspectives or and also world change it's just like sudden change and boom it's done it's no never going to be the same and sometimes change is long and steady and slow and I'm always fascinated in what what encourages and inspires someone to change and how it's just, I, I, Mm. so I love change. So one of the exciting things about the early pandemic for me was watching this industry, our community figure out how to do this, how to do teletherapy and, um, and how to do EMDR therapy. And there were some beautiful practitioners early on who started um, at, at that point, EMDR really hadn't been done over teletherapy that much it hadn't been officially approved at least Mm -hmm. Um, and there were some some wonderful teachers who started leading um, webinars and um, kind of teaching us how to do it and giving us ideas and so just just from like a meta perspective it was interesting to me to watch like how is this how do we all adjust to this and how do we start to work like this? Full disclosure, I'm not really doing therapy myself much anymore. I'm really just running the business. So I'm not, I'm not providing EMDR myself anymore, but many of my therapists are, and I talk to them about it a lot and, and I have attended the trainings on it. They all say it's going great. And mostly they, um, instead of either people can buy the buzzers and take the buzzers home, but mostly people are just doing this um, tapping on your shoulders. So EMDR thrives and continues even somatic therapy i've been just gonna say that that. it's fucking crazy what you know body workers are working like this it's incredible well you know energy workers have always worked like this which has always also astounded me you know Mm. you can get distance reiki healing and you know you get um i was attending some somatic training over the pandemic just because i was like thinking i could learn something from that so um so it's, it's just fascinating to see how we adapt and we do. Mm-hmm. And even these alternative kinds of therapies um, are, are working in this way. And, um, you know, as to how, how teletherapy is, is working in, in general, I think I, I had this interesting teletherapy moment this week um, where I was working with a client and she was kind of stuck on something about an old job. And 
Um, and I kind of like, I felt a little stuck, you know, you know, when you're, when your person is stuck and then you kind of feel stuck and you're like, oh, um, and I was like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What are we going to do? And then I was like, you know, do you, I asked her, do you have anything from your job that, do you have any symbol or any item from your job that kind of represents that, that old place? Cause she had been, um, she was no longer at this job. She had been let go during the pandemic mm-hmm. and had a lot of stuckness around that. Um, and um, and so she was like, yeah, she was like, I have this red jacket that I got when, um, when I was employee of the year. And, and because she was in her house, I said, okay, cool, go get the jacket. So she goes and gets the jacket and she brings the jacket out. And then we got to have this whole experience with the jacket of like, what do you want to do with the jacket? Do you want to rip it? Do you want to, you know, do you want to slash it? Do you want to wear it? Do you want to honor it? What is it bringing up? Do What memories is it? Like, what do you want to do? Where do you want to put this jacket? You know, and we had this whole, some, you know, bit of catharsis around what this job is and was for, for her represented in this jacket. And because she was in her house, she was able to get it. And we were able to do that in real time. Mm-hmm. which I thought was like such a cool teletherapy moment, you right. know, yeah. because we could have done that in our minds if she had been in the office, but it was really powerful to be able, I love that people are in their homes, you know, and that well, they and she can, can show go. it to you, right? Exactly. Like there's something actually very connecting about that, about being able to show you this thing like yeah, it's I've very, found with clients. They, there's part of it that's like healing for them that I'm in their home with them. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there was one thing that happened early on that I thought was interesting. One of my clients, when we first started teletherapy, he's like, I'm going to have to get used to this because there's something about when I come to your office that I'm able to step out of myself and kind of be my most vulnerable person. Mm -hmm. And in your office, I can say things and I can feel parts of myself that I that when I come, when I leave, I put my sort of spacesuit back on mm-hmm. and he said, now I'm sitting in my apartment and I'm surrounded by all these objects and items that define me and tell me who I am. And he's like, I'm going to have to, you know, make this transition for myself to be able to go to this more vulnerable place, even when I'm surrounded by all of these markers of my own mm-hmm. identity. And I thought that was so beautiful. Yeah. Um, but now he's doing great with it, you know, <laughs> so, you know, transition change, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because as I hear you talk about, you know, so we always have all of our guests do like a write-up beforehand. So we have some insight to what they're like working on currently, where they're coming from. Um, And there's this thing that you wrote about this, how to develop your personal power. And in the back of my mind, I've been like, okay, I want to talk to her about that at some point in this conversation, but I've been listening to you. And it's so funny because I just feel like without even knowing kind of what you're perspective is, what this angle is on how to develop your personal power. I'm like listening to your story and I'm going, oh, this is a lived experience for you. Mm -hmm. And it's a lived experience that it seems like even just from the short stories you've told me that I'm also kind of vicariously witnessing you bring to your clients already. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, even in the way you've like established your business and the way that you transition from one career to the next, which is funny because I'm, it's like, I'm listening to myself talk because we have a lot of parallels. Yeah. So many parallels. (laughs) Yeah. So many parallels. The New York, like I was in TV. I actually interned at HBO, didn't get that internship. I ended up at Conan. So I started at Conan, went to the production room, advertising (laughs) the whole nine. Yeah. So funny. But um, but yeah, anyway, I mean, I just, it's just, I guess I'm continually struck the the deeper I get into this work, um, how so many of us end up bringing what our lived experience was or is into then like the work that we put out in the world or the work that we do with our clients. And I, I would love for you to tell us more about this, how to develop your personal power, because it feels like you've 
done this, like you've lived this and now, I don't know, I just want to hear more about it, I guess. Well, thank you. I feel like one of our goals at Float in a way is to make ourselves unnecessary. You know, mm. we really want yeah. to build your own, your your own skills to become your own healer and your own self-soother and self-regulator and your own source of wisdom and intuition. And I don't want you to be in a place where like something happens in your life or you have to make a decision. You're like, I have to call my therapist. Right. You know, like, I don't want that to happen. I want you to go have that in your own self. And I, and I'm really into another word that I love in addition to change is power. Mm. And I'm really into this idea of um, building your own personal power. So, so I, I wrote down six ideas. Um, I'll try to get through them. The first thing I just want to say very quickly is this is not just about um, positive thinking. I don't, you know, there's a lot going on Mm. on the internet and about this stuff. And it's, it's not just about like, think about what you want and it will come because that does, that discounts many people's real experiences and their reality um, of what's, you know, of, of where they are in their life. Um, so I'm not just saying you can just manifest whatever you want by thinking about it. I just want to mm-hmm. say that. But what I am saying is that no matter what our situation is, there is something that we all have control over mm. and it's our mind. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm sure you guys have read that Viktor Frankl book, um, Man's Search for Meaning, mm-hmm. written when he was written, written in the Holocaust. And this is what mm-hmm. he's saying. He's like, you can do what you can do anything you can to me and to my family, but you cannot get in my mind. You mm-hmm. cannot control my mind. So we, no matter who, we all have control over our mind. So the second thing is I want you to think about um, the idea of being a king or queen over your mind mm-hmm. and over your subconscious. And think about what a king or a queen in their, in their highest, in their highest expression, you know, they're wise and compassionate and they have a a wide perspective and they're experienced and they're strong and they're brave and they're trustworthy. And your mind is your kingdom. You are the ruler of your mind. Mm -hmm. You rule it. You are the leader of your mind and, and it wants to be led. It wants to be led by you. You know, you are the leader of it. It's you're not subject to its whims. I think we, we feel like that a lot, but we have control over our mind. So mm-hmm. you make decisions about what goes on in there. And this is partly what we do, what we're doing with meditation. You know, we, we meditate and then um, get quiet for a few seconds maybe, and then our mind wanders and that's totally normal. And then we very kindly just say, okay, bring it back. And that happens again, our mind wanders and we kindly say, bring it back. And for me, this is one of the goals of meditation is, um, learning how to control our mind like that and to also extrapolate the experience on the cushion Mm. on the meditation cushion into our life that we can you know if my mind is going somewhere that i don't want it to go just as i do in meditation where i say okay come back to my breath if it's going somewhere i don't want it to go in my life i can in my day i can say come back to something else you know i i can control my mind like that third idea is um ask for what you want. Um, I spent a lot of years studying Buddhism Mm -hmm. and I love it. It is one of my main philosophical, psychological underpinnings. And I did a lot of work around um, with with the Buddhism around 
accepting what is happening and letting go of what I think should happen or what I think needs to happen and really just accepting, accepting what is happening. It is really, really helpful for me. Mm -hmm. But I think, I think what happened to me in there is that it started to feel wrong to ask for something else to happen Mm -hmm. or to want something to happen. You know, I, I was feeling like that's wrong because I should just be accepting what is happening and, and I shouldn't be wanting something else to happen. Um, and it was hard for me to think about wanting something to be different because I was so trained in this Buddhist perspective of, no, just be with what is and, and let that be okay. This was a, a couple of years ago, I started to kind of chew on that. Maybe it's okay to to want something to be different. You, you have, to have to also be okay if it doesn't happen. And that's part of what this, um, this point is about is that it's important to know what we want and it's important to say what we want and it's important to risk not getting it, mm-hmm. you know? I think that's, I think I was holding myself back from wanting things because if I said I wanted this, you know, if I went on a date or, and I really liked a guy or something, and I really wanted that relationship to go somewhere and it didn't, I would be really crushed, mm-hmm. you know, versus like, if I didn't, if I just didn't want it to go anywhere, then I might be okay. So Joy, do you mean like, it's okay to say that this is what I want, but the non-attachment comes in the form of like, it may not look like what you think it is going yes. to look like. Is that yes. a little bit what you mean? Definitely. I like that. Yeah. Exactly. Like it's, it's, it's important to say what we want and it's important to not be, to say, if that doesn't happen, I will be, I will be sad. I'll be, you know, Mm. it will be hard for me and I'm going to let myself have that hard experience rather than, I think I was just kind of keeping myself on the level, like, well, I'll never really let myself want anything. So then I won't be um, disappointed. disappointed." Yeah, exactly. You know, but then I was like, no, I, I have to, I have to let myself want something, you know, because otherwise I'm kind of just staying up here Mm. and I'm too afraid, I think, to let myself feel the disappointment or the embarrassment of not, Mm. the embarrassment of Mm. letting myself and saying out loud, declaring maybe to myself or someone, this is what I want. And then it doesn't happen. I don't get it. And then I'm embarrassed. I think it was a lot of that too. I just, I I, want to jump in for a second because I think that is so, um, important that so often we don't sort of allow ourselves to feel the truth of what we feel because it feels embarrassing, right? To hope for, to long for, like, you you know, if we think about it, like in terms of relationships, which we talk a ton about, like so many people long for love, long for relationships, but I can't put that out there. I can't even say that that's something I want for myself because then the sadness that comes along with not getting this thing that I want makes me feel shame, makes me feel like I have to be embarrassed about the truth of what I feel. I think that's so important. Well, I also think we can couch it in non-attachment, but a lot of times it's not not attachment or or I don't even know what the opposite of attachment would be, right? Disattachment, <laughs> non-attachment. It's really more of this, I like, I'm going to dismiss before being dismissed. Mm-hmm. Or, yes. Um, right? And so- in my codependency work, there's a lot of that. Like a lot of codependents actually do that, which is like, I'm going to put up a wall before they put up a wall. I'm going to dismiss this person in this relationship before they, or I'm going to just expect the worst before they disappoint me because I'm more comfortable living in that space. Right. And then I don't get my hopes up and then I don't crash and burn. And, and to your point, I think the really important part of that is then you're not living. 
Mm. Yeah. You're actually not living if you're staying in that space because part of living is the experience of being disappointed, is the experience of longing for something, is the experience of declaring something and then being embarrassed. Like all of those things are part of life. So if you're Mm. not allowing any of that to protect yourself, right? Because that's not not an attachment, that's protection, self-protection. You're not actually living. Exactly, right, exactly. Um, And that's part of what I realized earlier when I was saying like, when I saw my life and I was like, wait, I'm just doing everything on my own. And like, Mm -hmm. that's good. You know, I was Mm -hmm. doing that with relationships too. Like that's chill. It's working for me. But I was like, I'm not living. Right. Yeah, exactly. It was literally, I was like, I'm not living if I stay there, you know? I love that point. Um, Fourth point, and it's just a quick one is, okay, so ask for what you want and, and say, thank you. You know, say thank you when you get it or not yeah. even that, or just part of saying, thank it. you, acknowledge it. And part of it is also, you know, putting on our glasses to look for the little things that we are getting. Maybe you're not getting that big thing that you asked for or whatever, but there are, we all have stuff to be grateful for. We know gratitude, but also just putting on those glasses to recognize all these tiny little moments and gifts and connections. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, so, so putting on that gratitude, those gratitude glasses. Okay. The last two ideas are the bigger ideas. So, um, the, the next one is about embodiment. You know, we've talked about the bodies, um, a lot so far in this conversation and it's Mm. huge. It's huge for me. Um, and in my work, um, you know, it's not enough to be in your body. It's not enough to be in your body. And if we're talking about this idea of developing your personal power, You want to feel power in your body. You want to feel power up your legs and in Mm -hmm. your core and in your torso. You want to feel power and energy running through your arms and out your hands, through your heart and in your throat for when you speak. You want to feel power in your body. We're we're too used to just having our minds and bodies disconnected, but they work together. So, you know, if you're thinking um, of how you want to feel, Um, so let's say, you know, if I want to feel strong and powerful, for example, start with your body, start Mm. with your body. Imagine being someone or something that is strong and powerful, like an animal, or I use Stacey Abrams a lot. Um, (laughs) she's just like really strong and powerful figure to me, but Mm. you know, like use an animal, um, and, and move and position your body in that way that a lion or, you know, an animal would, you know, in your posture, mm-hmm. the strength in your back, um, the erect, an erect back, strength in your legs, your heart thumping, your blood flowing, you know, even you can just feel it as I'm saying it and picturing that kind of lion energy in your body, start with that place in your body and then go to your mind mm-hmm. and then try to go back to your mind. Is it, you know, is it more accessible to feel get to a powerful place in your mind when you're feeling this in your body and, and like, so bring your hands, bring your hands in front of you. You guys can do it with me. Um, bring your hands in front of you and try to feel, try to feel power in your hands. You know, it's not just limp, you know, try to, you can put your hands limp and kind of like lifeless, just, you know, where they're flop and try to bring something in there. Try to bring something into your fingers. Like there's life in there. There's force. There's, power there's aliveness in your fingers there's something inside of your fingers like you're palming a basketball you know when you're palming a basketball there's a little there's some weight and some energy there um 
in your hands, like as if lightning bolts can come out of your fingers. There's magnets in your fingers. Maybe there's power that goes up into your arms. There's something in there, something in your hands. It's not just vacant. Mm -hmm. So feeling, you know, this is how it's easiest to start with your hands when you're trying to get into embodiment work. Mm -hmm. So bring, you know, really st trying to just feel, can you feel, can you guys feel yeah. that? Mm -hmm. you can yeah. feel and that? I, I feel like the, the tingling, like I know when I do a lot of meditation practices, I, I usually focus on the tingling and the, the sensation in the hands. So it's like, for me, it's like an electric energetic kind of tingling. Electric, yeah, feel. exactly. I love the tingling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's just like, you know, versus like, you know, our hands are always here, but right now with my hands um, sort of flopped like this. I don't feel anything in them, but then I can kind of, they can kind of wake up. I can lift them up. And I don't know, this palming a basketball image came to me where like, I can kind of feel yeah. a bat. I don't, I don't play basketball, but I can kind of feel a basketball <laughs> underneath my hands. And like, there's like weight that I'm lifting, you know? Mm. So this, so starting with your hands, like this is how you start to feel power. This is an example of feeling power in your hands. Um, and then the last idea I have is about visualization. And visualization is so important. We talked about it a little bit already with, um, you know, imagining that you're a powerful animal or something. Um, and this is why all this manifestation and law of attraction stuff that we hear about, it is about visualization, about actually picturing these things happening and um, imagining as if they're happening. And the reason that it works is because the, the neurons in our brain can't tell a difference between what we're imagining and what is actually happening. Mm -hmm. So when we're imagining something, our bodies, our cells, our nervous system is responding as if it's actually happening. Mm -hmm. um, so our body is primed to act in this way of what we're imagining as if it really is happening. So, um, and so, so visualizing, um, I, I want you to also think in this 360 degree filled in perspective. So when you're picturing, imagining anything, even your hands, your fingers are picturing, visualizing anything. I want you to not just picture the outside, fill, fill it in in the inside. So feel the whole of your body. If we're thinking about your body, feel the front hmm. and the back and the left and the right and feel above and below feel inside and through and around and within. Fill, fill in your body, fill in whatever you're picturing and imagining, fill in all, you're coloring in the, coloring in the lines inside, fill it in. I want you to picture what's behind you right now. Don't look, you can close your eyes and just picture whatever's behind you right now. Like start at your head level, picture, see if you can picture what's behind you. Maybe at your chest level, what's behind your back. Just see if you have an idea of what's back there and see it in your head or feel it. Okay, now open your eyes and turn around and look behind you. I'm like, I'm just going to, for those of you guys who can't see him, I'm just going to lean myself to the right because we're on Zoom. <laughs> so, yeah. so, you know, like, how did you do? How, like, how aware were you of what's behind you before mm -hmm. you looked? 
How did you guys do? I'm and pretty aware. I feel like we're like on Zoom all the time. This box oh, right, is like my Zoom, home right, right now. So yeah, that's what we're saying. Yeah, it's like, yeah, I got that. It's good. That's good. Like you, I want you to always be having this awareness of what's behind. You know, it's like we're always looking for us with the Zoom image. I see what you're saying, right? We get to see what's behind us now, which is helpful. But like, you know, when I'm doing that, I sort of feel like I'm like I have eyes in the back of my brain. Right. Hmm. Well, like spatial that. too. It's spatial awareness. So like spatial awareness, uh, right? Like for me, I'm, I'm also, I'm a sensate for sure. Like that's definitely my highest function. So it's really important for me to have that spatial awareness. Otherwise mm -hmm. I don't actually feel safe. So I like this experience of yes. actually filling it in around me. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. I just like, I, I feel like, yeah, kind of put eyes on the back of my brain and just see what's back there, you know, look around and, you know, and like it, look around to the sides yeah we are we have such small perspective we have such small perspective in our eyes we have such small perspective in our heads mm -hmm. just open it up expand it look around fill it in look inside and out um you know, i'm trying to get pregnant right now and so i'm doing a lot of visualizing around this and um not only am i picturing i'm, I'm picturing and imagining what it'll you know what it will feel like to be pregnant to have a belly what it'll feel like to stand and sit with a belly to have a life inside of me what it'll be like to hold that baby and smell that baby a lot of you know it's like outside mm -hmm. outside in mm -hmm. visualizing but then I also shrink myself really small and then I go inside of my belly inside of my uterus mm -hmm. and then I look out from there and I think about I, and I see all, I see what colors there are and I see the texture and I feel the temperature and I hear the sounds and I imagine being that baby. And I imagine what it's like being that baby from that perspective. So I'm always, when I'm visualizing, I'm trying to go from the outside in and I'm trying to go from the inside out and, and you know, or, or, I'll, or I'll just shift 90 degrees and I'll look, you know, what's this, what is it over here? I'll shift another 90 degrees. So I'm just I, I like that word. I haven't used that before. The spatial, you know, I think, I think that's, that's exactly it. Just like mm -hmm. get bigger in your thinking and get bigger in your feeling and get bigger and, and filler fill, more filled up inside of your body. You know, we're, mm. we just can be dead in there. We're just so in our heads and we're just can be dead in our body. And I think this, this sense of power really comes from feeling inside of your body and the more you do this and the more you do what I said earlier about being able to be comfortable being silent mm -hmm. and stopping all the distractions and really starting to listen inside this is power this is mm -hmm. your ultimate power and it will be with you wherever you go wherever you are it's free it's accessible at all times and no one can take it away from you Love it so much, Jory. You know what I love so much about you, Jory, is I feel like I've always, um, there's things that I have not been able to put words to that I have felt on a sensory level. And I feel like you do this amazing job of like putting tangible tools and ways of describing things for people who, you know, sometimes feel like the spiritual realm and some of the like things that feel like a little second nature to us or a little airy fairy. And it's like, yeah, but what, what are you talking about? Really? I feel like you do such a great job of like tangibly, like, here's how you describe it and articulate mm -hmm. it in a way that like anyone can understand what you mean. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Yeah. It's really and I'm powerful. excited to use those tools. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it's, 
you know, the, it, for me, it almost feels like layers on top of maybe already existing practices. You know, I think for mm -hmm. a lot of people, it's like, take what you're already doing. Like if you take mindful walks, then take this and put it on top of the mindful walks and start to do the spatial awareness, you know, yes. when you're outside or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I like that it can be, it feels like this stuff can be woven into my life already. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I love that. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. I feel like we could keep picking your brain. Like Jory is one of the most powerful manifestors. I know. I feel like I could like continue to pull and we might have to have you back on again so we can talk to you more about some things like manifesting, but um, Vanessa and I have questions that we ask all our guests and I want to make sure we have time to get our questions oh, okay. in with you. Um, so the first question is who have been your greatest teachers, your mentors, your um, influences, whether they're people you know or people that you've read and love their work? Um, well, astrology is a huge influence for me hmm. um, and is honestly um, the language through which I see the world. So there's a, um, a, a lot of great teachers that I um, just that I've read and that I've, um, you know, studied with myself, but um, astrology is a, is a huge foundation for me in helping me learn how to grow and evolve and learning how to, um, how to give words to human and relational dynamics that that I didn't have before love that love that yeah um okay so what do you do that puts you in flow which is an appropriate term right um <laughs> where, where do you find yourself in flow you know what gets you to that place of just like you could go hours and it feels like you blinked your eyes oh uh, yeah um the biggest one for me is dancing. I love, mm -hmm. I love dancing and it's kind of where I feel the most myself, where I don't have to think about anything and I don't have to prepare or plan for anything and anything I do just is right and comes out naturally and um, I feel very uh, connected to myself and alive. Um, and then I also really love being in the garden. I love, I, I spent the whole weekend in the garden, just like I was saying to my boyfriend, I just love like being physical out there. I was like pulling these huge old dead 30 year old vines down and just getting fucking dirty and messy. And, you know, I just like, I, I love, I love a goal. I love accomplishing something that I could walk away from and see it. But um, I, and I loved finding all these old vines that were twisted together and wrapping it, you know, unwrapping it to its core, seeing where it started and Mm. yanking it um and I just I love plants I love trees I love plants I love um I I just I love the garden I love it Jory what breaks your heart I I don't I this is like it's a little embarrassing to say this but I don't feel like I'm as good at feeling the suffering of the world mm. I I feel one-on-one -on -one. Mm. Um, and sometimes I, I'm like banging on my heart like if I'm looking at the suffering of the world I'm not feeling as much as I wish I did it's it's this is the, the thing that's a bit embarrassing to say but I mean damn if I'm in front of a person I am feeling all of everything so um so when I'm in front of something someone and they are 
hurting or suffering, um, that breaks my heart because mm -hmm. I can really feel that. Um, and, and I, you know, I long for that feeling of, of wishing that I con connected in a bigger way, in that deeper visceral way, um, in, in the bigger picture, but but one-on-one, -on -one, being in front of someone one-on-one -on -one, um, when they're suffering really breaks my heart. Yeah. I just, as you said that, I, I kind of wanted to know like how much I think you've made me feel really seen in that space because I can feel a little bit closed off to the suffering of the world almost sometimes because it feels like if I were to go there, it would be too much for me to take in. And I think there's a lot of ways that my experience of being an empath, you've really sort of um, validated for me and like made me feel like seen and understood in. And so I really get that, like that, like one-on-one, -on -one, I can sort of take it in and feel it. But if I were to like allow myself to feel the suffering of the world, it would just be like too much and I would sort of shut down. Mm. So the last one's a, a big one. So what's your favorite food? <laughs> uh, well, right now it's grapes. Oh, <laughs> that's a new one. We haven't gotten that one before. We're like, oh, very specific. Is there somebody who's like feeding them to you and then there's leaves mm. being waved? Yes. Yeah, like, is it an experience? <laughs> it could be. It could be. Yeah. I'm just like, I love grapes. You see where our minds go. We're like, tell us about what it's like when you're eating grapes. Who's feeding them to you, Jory? <laughs> I love it. Well, Jory, thank you so much for doing this. I feel like you are such a gift in my life and I'm just so grateful to have this opportunity to share you with everyone else. Um, and I'd love if you would tell us a little bit more about if people really resonated with what you're saying and they'd love to either, you know, follow you or, you know, reach out to one of our other flow therapists. How can they do that? Um, yes, thank you. Um, and it's been so nice to be on here and thank you for inviting me and I love you, Danae. I'm so happy. I'm so proud of you and thank you for including me in this and, and everything that you're doing. I'm just, it's so exciting to watch you and Vanessa, I've heard so much about you Same. and I feel like, um, there's a lot more in this conversation yep. for us. to. Continue. We're going to have a part two. We're going to have to do part two <laughs> story because an hour is not enough. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And, um, the, the website is flowhousetherapy.com and the Instagram is flowhousetherapy and you can set a free call on there with me. I get to talk to everyone when they call and then find out what's going on for you, get a little feel for your personality, and then match you with one of the eight therapists that we have here. And that is definitely another one of your gifts. I feel like you are, it's such a like, I don't understand how you do it, but you the just really, she really is. She's <laughs> yeah. like a matchmaker for therapy. She knows exactly who's going to be someone's group. It's amazing. <laughs> it's really that. cool. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks again. Okay. I love you. Thank you guys. Thank you soon. Bye. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you want to connect with us, you can find us on Instagram at Vanessa S. Bennett and at Danae Logan Selkin.